There are shows with psychics. And there are shows with doctors. But there's no show like The Psychic and the Doc. Your practical paranormal power unleashed. This show synthesizes the talents of world-class medium Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, psychic explorer, and street-smart spiritualist, behavioral psychologist, Dr. Pat Basili. All subjects are on the table, and no topic is taboo. Inspiration, insight, action, and fun as Mark Anthony connects callers with loved ones in spirit in tandem with Dr. Pat's fresh, no-nonsense, street-smart, intuitive insights. And she is hilarious. Extraordinary problems require extraordinary solutions, which may come from this side or the other side. This is The Psychic and The Doc. And it starts now. Oh, my God, right? Like, Uh, OMG. This is like, yes, I had a flashback already, but I'm going to let you do the introduction. I had a flashback to my younger days, flitting around Asbury Park back in the day, like before, like the stone, like Asbury Park, the center of, am I going to get this right? Before it was LGBTQIA and it was just Q. I think it was just Q. It was just Asbury Park. Asbury Park. Mark, tell us why. We are going to take a trip down memory lane, but then we're going to fast forward. Well, as everybody knows, June is Pride Month, and we are in for a really special treat today because we have an amazing guest, Kim Powers, and he is a two-time Emmy winner, Emmy winner, excuse me, Emmy winner, not one, but two Emmys, and the <laughs> senior writer for ABC's 2020. Kim is also the author of the recent novel, Rules for Being Dead. And we're going to talk about that because there's a dead character in it that's a narrator. So I find that particularly interesting for me being a medium. But he also wrote Capote in Kansas and the thriller Dig Two Graves, which I absolutely loved. And I highly recommend it. There's twists and turns and, and you never see what's coming in that. He also wrote the critically acclaimed memoir of his life, The History of Swimming, which is a Barnes and Noble Discover book. And he's a Lambda Literary Award finalist for Best Memoir of the Year. Kim is also a um, Out 100 by Out Magazine. He's a native Texan and he received his MFA from Yale School of Drama. He lives in New York City and Asbury Park, New Jersey. And I had the pleasure of meeting Kim when I was on um, my Never Letting Go book tour in New York City. And I met him in his official capacity at ABC and we had dinner and then I went to the book launch uh, for Dig Two Graves. And um, I, I just have nothing but total admiration for Kim Powers. Welcome to the show, Kim. Yeah. Oh God, thank you both so much. What a what a welcome. Can can I just like play that every day of my life? You know, when I'm waking up in the morning, having my coffee, just yeah. to kind of, oh yeah, you've done some good things before. Yes. Yeah. And we're just warming year, up. Yeah, we're just absolutely. warming up. And this just, last year, yeah. as you said, Pat has brought me to Asbury Park. I've been yeah. here um during the whole last year of lockdown. Uh, you know, the stomping ground of of um 
of Dr. Pat and Bruce Springsteen, I might add, and, uh, and who I almost ran over, who I almost killed early on when we moved here. I literally saw him crossing the street with his wife, and I was so excited, I barely <laughs> stopped in time. That that would have not only gotten me run out of New Jersey, but <laughs> maybe the country. But that's another story. Well, at least you didn't slap the president of France. I did not <laughs> slap the president of France. Exactly. So, I understand. Of you know, it's funny because in France, um, I remember when I was at Oxford, one of our professors was talking about the justice system in France. He goes, it's machine gun justice. The guy slapped Macron yesterday. He's already been sentenced today to four months in prison. Uh, so bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. But, but um, um, Kim, I have to ask, um, you're, you, you, we talk a lot about the afterlife on this show. And, and I love working with Dr. Pat because you know people call in and I'll, I'll do a mini reading and then she gives her street smart spiritualist insights, which is extremely healing to people. But in your new book, Rules for Being Dead, there is a dead character who's the narrator. Come on, you got to tell us about that. How did you get the idea to have a narrator that's dead? Right now, it seems like, the, to, to me, looking back, it seems like the most obvious idea in the world. But I have to tell you, I was so many drafts through that book before I even came up with that idea. And... Uh, it's a story. It's a it's a it's a work of fiction, but it's a very autobiographical work about my childhood and me dealing with the the mystery of my mother's death, who died when I was nine years old. Yep. And sorry. people were very kind of quiet about it, not really saying anything about it. Uh, you know, my imagination ran wild with what might have happened to her. But I'd written this sort of basic book, you know, all these events. And a friend of mine said, you know, it's all about your mother, but she's she's not really a character in it. She only has other people talk about it. He goes, I want to hear what she has to say for herself. And I thought, well, she's dead. She really can't talk for herself. And then I thought, actually, she can. You know, there are other books. I'm by, you know, not by far the first to have written like this. The Lovely Bones, for example, is narrated by a dead teenage girl. And I thought, I really do want, even though it is so close to home, I wanted to give this character of the mother, who's a wife and a mother of two little boys. She's a, a grade school teacher during the 60s, uh, growing up in small town Texas. I wanted to give her freedom to say whatever she wanted to. And I almost wanted to let my mind go wild so I could, almost in, a, in an unconscious way, I think the way you, you know, Mark, you have, you know, visitations almost. I wanted to see what right. she would come alive and tell me. And it it was both the easiest character I've ever written. And there's some, you know, some specific things about my mother in it, but also a fictional um, take on her. And, and, and my favorite character I've ever written. Yeah. Um, and she, there she is. She's sort of floating in the in limbo, not able to escape or be taken to heaven or hell or whatever the other world is, while she's fiercely guarding these two little boys 
And she she essentially sort of fly this invisible character flying around in this small town in Texas. Mm. Kim, I, I have a question, and then Dr. Pat, I'm going to want your input because sure. this is going to involve both of you. Um, both of you lost your mothers at a very young age. Yep. But Kim, I'll, I, my understanding is you had an identical twin brother who died at a very young a age. A twin brother, not not identical, but a twin brother. But twin, oh, I'm sorry, okay. And we very looked, yes. Oh, okay, so... Fraternal twin. Okay, so you write a lot of books that involve death, and now you've written a book that involves a spirit. And by the way, I have to say... Um, when I was reading, reading about the, the character's name is Criola Perkins, which I yeah, love the really. name. And which is um, my mother's real name. Oh, okay, great. Even even better. Yeah. Um, your insights on on the 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 spirit and the way spirits can see past, present, and future, you were very, very, uh very accurate. So so kudos. Um uh, you did, well, did I, a great job. I I, I didn't do and and this is not sucking up to you, but I remember reading Never Letting Go right after we met the first time, and you were kind enough to give me a copy of it. And you know, I've always since I was a kid and had so much loss in my life early on, and then my two brothers had also died at um, in the early nineties. It's always been of great fascination to me, of course. Sure. And I remember reading that in there about spirits sort of being able to not tell the future, but in a, again, another unconscious way, I came up with this funny thing for the mother to do where she could sort of see what her, this, this main child, Clark, how he's growing up and what he's like in high school or college. And, you know, she, she almost like predicts this thing called Facebook and emojis. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, this is her that. writing in the middle of the sixties. And I wanted to give her this great sense of humor, but I think subconsciously I sort of thought, well, I do think that is what spirit has, an ability to see past, present, present, and future. Yeah. Awesome. So, so Dr. Pat, I wanted to ask that, um, okay, from a psychologist standpoint, Kim writes a book where essentially his mother is and is not um, the narrator. Do you think that this is a really powerful form of therapy to deal with grief? What's your take on on how this has come together. I'll give you my take on it. Uh, first of all, when I read your book, I wondered about what you just shared. Oh, and the reason I wondered about it is because you and I could have been two peas in a pod parallel. My mom died when I was six and I was in Catholic boarding school. And I've shared this story, and this is not the psychology of this, but what this lends itself to, Mark, is how do we get shaped to become the people we are today? How wow. do these events of our lives shape us? Now, here's what I'm going to say. You know, I got kicked out of Catholic boarding school at age six because I told Sister Michael Anthony at the ninth station of the cross that Jesus just told me my mom was with him. And they know how to grab you like by the ear and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I went to they Catholic grab school. Grab you yes. to the Mother Superior. <laughs> and I've shared this story before. And I walk into Mother Superior and Sister Michael Anthony is yelling and screaming. She did it again. She's talking to Jesus. Sac you know, whatever they say, sacrilege. Mother Superior pulls up her head and she's crying. She's got a note from my dad. 
my mom just died. Oh. Now, when I think about this and I think about your book and I've read your book and there are points in this book where I just bawled. Mm. And I thought, how did I get to know about my mother's passing? I never knew. It was a dark secret, Kim. It was dark. And I spent a lot of my years drinking about it down at Asbury Park. <laughs> and I also lost the two key people in my life, my birth sister and my stepmother in 91 and 2. And so when I start to listen to this, here's what I come to to answer your question. See, I think spirit, God, universe, whatever you believe in is so smart that what happens is it shapes us to create a narrative about our lives that will help other people. And so two things come to mind to answer the question. There's something freeing in knowledge and writing about this, something freeing. When my stepmom violated my dad's words and kept my birth's mom's letters from the mental ward of Bellevue Hospital, talking about her first suicide attempt, because she was in Bellevue, talking about the situation behind it, and then finally her second attempt shortly thereafter where she burned the whole house down. But had those letters not been kept, and had my stepmom not kept them, I would have had a cockamamie story that would have never made sense to my life. So yes, the answer to the question is when we write things down and we put them in narrative and we, we are sharing something from the heart, like my stepmom waited for my dad to die. We're burying my dad. We're, all, we're burying my dad. And we finish the burying and we go back to the house. And of course, my sisters have got to drink themselves to death, which is good because they shared a lot of information about stuff that I didn't do as a child that I really got blamed for. And my mother goes and gets these letters. She goes and gets the letters. And in the revelation of those letters, and you read them, there's a level of freeing. And I think, Kim, that's what this is about. There's a level of freedom that's very hard to explain when you put this down. But also, there's an honoring. And when we can honor those people that were so instrumental to us that have taken our life away, my mom owned an old school candy store and jukebox. And you talk about Elvis Presley. So the psychology of this is that what happens with some of this when we write our stuff down is we are releasing so that we can love. Releasing so we can love, right? So you release something so you could love. But I will tell you, right after that thing, I went on a tirade. I got a hold of my uncle. I got a hold of all my relatives. And I said, what's wrong with you people? Why were you keeping this a secret? Mom wasn't sick. She was an addict and alcoholic. And my dad was cheating on her. And it's all in the letters here. Look at the letters. <laughs> By the way, on my mom's side of the family, I got completely cut off. But if we can't share our stories, what are we? I mean, this goes back from when man could walk and then flap at the mouth and woman. And it became storytelling. 
So it is not only transformative, Mark, but what this does, it, and Kim, this allows other people to face themselves and face their stories. Long and, answer and, to a question. Yeah, and, and, and Kim, I, I think it kind of goes without saying that a lot of creativity stems from pain. Um, I mean, you, you look at, uh, I found in my work as a medium and, and a grief, for lack of a better term, grief counselor, that some of the greatest works of art literature, uh, all right, we have somebody who's created great works of literature, meaning you, um, music have come from, from grief. And what's fascinating about you is certainly the, the deaths of your brothers and your mom were very impactful, but you also had to confront and cope with growing up as a gay child in I, what I presume to be an extremely conservative environment, <laughs> okay? Um, how, how did that impact you first as, as a person and then secondly as a writer? Uh, well, you're certainly right. It, it could, could not have been more deep fried where I came from, you know, <laughs> Southern Baptist, Bible Belt, all the way in small town Texas. Um, and it was a, a, a profound thing. You know, just imagine a kid just dealing with all this stuff. You know, the, the death of my mother, Dr. Pat, our, our families could have been the same. I mean, I went through all of those things. I found my mother trying to kill herself. I rescued her from a suicide attempt. I, I had a bunch of letters of hers that really told me her truth. Um, so there's so many pair. I two brothers who died in 91, 92, just like you. Um, and so I'm dealing with the shame, and it, it was shameful and embarrassing to me that my mother had died and no other parents of my other friends had had. So that was almost a bigger feeling than the grief. Yeah. Uh, and just because there was so much mystery about how she died, what killed her, um, I, I moved into that embarrassment. But just imagine that at the same time, I was a very sensitive child. I was what, you know, people would think of as, as stereotypically feminine. You know, I, I was very slight. And, and with this twin brother, we were fraternal, but he was always a little bit bigger than I was. He was always a, a little bit more masculine acting. You know, my, my voice probably sounded very gay. Um, you know, I wanted to be an actor from the time I was a kid. I write about that certainly in the book and go to see all these old movies that other kids in McKinney, Texas, population 18,000, were not going to see. So it was just like another part of like dealing and surviving, um, you know, and and you, you just sort of make your peace with it. You, you know, this phrase... Um, Oh, that had sort of a, 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 um, a trendy moment, you know, a few years ago, it gets better. You know, that whole it gets better movement. Yeah. yeah, I did not have it gets better. There were no people who had already lived past what I had gone through and gone forward and now successful, happy, productive, saying it gets better to me. You know, I was kind of figuring it out for myself. And I will add, and this is in my first book, The History of Swimming, not only was I gay, but my two brothers were gay as well. 
Now, that was not something we dealt with as children, but both my twin brother and an older brother who was 12 years older were all gay. So it was even weirder, you know, this family of gay kids, you know, what was in the water then, you know, that, that we were drinking or something. I mean, thankfully, you know, and, uh, and again, small-minded Texas. I mean, there's small minds everywhere. I don't mean to pick on Texas, but, you know, it, it, um, it had a lot of small minds there. And it really was only when I escaped and I, uh, you know, I, I use that term kind of literally to New York after college that I really felt like I came into my own. I could be myself, you know, certainly. And this was in the late uh, 70s, early 80s. There was um, there's no need to hide who you were. I, I luckily can say, especially because I was in the arts, I was in theater and movie and TV development. I've never had to hide my identity on a professional basis. That never kept me from getting a job or whatever. In fact, it probably helped me along the way. I have a question, if if I may. Um, I've I've heard some people say I'm successful in spite of being gay, not because of it. Would you say that 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 applies to you, or do you feel that you're successful because you're gay, or do you feel that that's just part of who you are and and not your driving force? How I feel would like you? It's- It's part of who I am. But at the same time, I don't want to deny it. It has made me a very um, specific kind of person. I remember once uh, I was working at PBS and we had to do, you know, these kind of touchy-feely, you know, um, employee employee exercises, you know, sensitivity (laughs) training sort of stuff. And we had to come up with... um, I think it was four phrases to define ourselves. And two of them I vividly remember. And they just came to me like that. And one was gay and one was a fallen Texan. Not a Texan, but a fallen Texan, which would have described my relationship to Texas. You know, it's like you can take the boy out of Texas, but to this day, you can't take Texas out of the boy. Um, and I feel like that they very much have shaped, being gay has shaped my personality and my sense of humor. Um, but it's not, you know, sometimes celebrities will come out, you know, they'll be outed or they'll come out and they'll say, oh, you know, you know, I, you know, I hope to, you, to prove to you that being gay is the least important part of my life. I wouldn't say that. I think I would say it's a major part of my life, but it is not, it's just kind of one of the, tributaries like feeding into the big lake big swampy lake of who i am you know you know i i I think that's fascinating the way you describe that i'm sorry dr pat go ahead well i i think you talked about three things one i used to be those people that ran those trainings and then two i had to do it myself and you know what's fascinating about going through those trainings you're the only person in the room that doesn't think you're gay or won't admit you're gay and i love that because when you have to identify everybody's before you establish the ground rules right You're in the room and everybody has to go in a corner or define themselves as an animal. And somebody turns to you and says, seriously, you're in that corner. Yeah. (laughs) And then to me, what are you doing in the straight corner? I mean, it wasn't called that, but yeah. And so there are these defining moments. I'd love to ask you this question. Yeah, go ahead. Can you think of a defining moment for yourself? Do you know what? 
in a way, we've already talked about it. The death of my mother was the defining event of my life until my early 30s. And then the defining moments became the death of my twin brother. But I will say, even in college, uh, both college and grad school, I was constantly writing pieces about, about the death of my mother. I was still trying to process that when I was in my 20s. You know, whether it was writing a little autobiographical thing or whatever it might have been. Um, and maybe it's different when the parent dies and the kid is much older. I don't know. For me, it was that. And then it's it's really sort of BC and AD. And, you know, for the, my twin brother as well. And I think just the proximity of both brothers dying of AIDS within the same year. Yeah. was such a wow. knockout year. Yeah. I mean, it really was before and after. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if that's too morbid because there are other great celebrations I've had in my life, you know, where accomplishments of mine have been rewarded, you know, at a book party, like the one Mark and Rocky came to, or, you know, a movie I made got premiered or whatever. Those pump me up. Those are great. But in terms of like shaping my core personality, almost to the point of changing my DNA, I would say. Those are the two most profound ones. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I saw it was first of all, thank you for posting on Facebook that uh, you're going to be on the show tonight. And then you said, we're going to talk about all sorts of things like Judy Garland's birthday. OK, <laughs> which is today. Um, <laughs> it's funny because from, from what I see, like I, I think gay men from 40 on up all venerate Judy Garland, 40 on down. And apparently it used to be Madonna. Now it's Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, so, so what is it about Judy Garland? Do you know what? It's so funny because I am sort of the, the post-Judy, you know, I think my, my adoration of Judy, or as we call her, Queen Judy, sort of became almost started as like mimicry or a joke of, you know, the generation one above me who really were there at Stonewall in the 70s and her death and everything. But I do know that... Um, it's something about the Wizard of Oz. It really is. It's about the fantasy and the heartbreak and the finding home. It's really about her finding her own family and choosing it. That is what that journey in Oz does. She's with the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion. And that is her own chosen family in the way so many gay people and you know LGBTQ people have to find our own families. And I'm lucky in that my family, um, you know, didn't have any real issues with me being gay or anything. But so many others are not like that. They do have to deal with being kicked out or not loved. And I think, you know, you don't know that when you're watching Wizard of Oz. You're just thinking, oh, my God, will she, you know, kill the, the witch in time? But I think at the core, that's what it's about. And I think that's why we all have this kind of special place for her. And Over the Rainbow is such a fantasy and so fantastic. And it's what not just gay people, but I think everybody wants to find their own version of Over the Rainbow. What is the most ideal place you can be or imagine being where everything's perfect? I really do think it's those two things in Wizard of Oz. You know, you know, it's really fascinating when you said about Over the Rainbow. I remember when um, I was putting together the the PowerPoint, the slideshow from my, my own mother's um, passing, and she always um, she always admired uh, Judy Garland, big band, and all that. 
And so I put in the soundtrack over the rainbow. Remember my dad and I were sitting there listening to it. And he said, that's heaven. It is heaven. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my God, you know, that song has so many different interpretations to it. And uh, I think that um, when you were talking about the Wizard of Oz and Dr. Pat, definitely chime in on this one. Think about each of the characters. Judy um, Dorothy is every man, okay? Uh, the Tin Woodsman, he's our blue-collar worker. Scarecrow's the intellectual, cowardly lion, the LGBT community, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, but I saw this one comedian one time, and he was talking about that movie, and he said it taught us all very important lessons, that beautiful people are always good and kind and trustworthy and that ugly people are always evil and mean and it's okay to kill them. <laughs> and I'm kidding. All right, for all our <laughs> listeners, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, I am the generation before you. I am, and we talked about this, I'm not going to go into it ad nausea again, but I know what it's like to have been there at Stonewall. I know the truth about it, vaguely talks about it, and thank you for the lesbian that refused to go in that paddy wagon, girlfriend, right? But it was a different time. And I want to ask you about this. And what I mean by a different time, it's so great to be looking out and watching Westworld, okay, this is my version of a great time. Watching Westworld and looking at Evan Rachel Wood and saying, hmm, she came out. Yeah. Okay, sorry if, if I'm outing you, but I think you did come out. Well, even if you didn't, there it is. Everybody's talking about you, Evan. But everybody's talking about you being out. Um, but the reason I bring it up is it seems like things have changed. And I want to ask you this question when we come back from break. How have things have changed? What have you seen? What are you seeing today? And, you know, can we think about some of our pop culture people? You know, can we take a look at maybe Billie Eilish? I don't know. Uh, can we look at Asia Kate Dillon? You know, can we look at some of these folks and yet still look back at the pioneers? You know, we beat the doors down to just, I won't say it, just Ed Koch, please grow a pair. I mean, these are the things, but I want to ask you when we come back, when you look at the landscape, where are we today and what are you most excited about for the future? I'd love to talk with you about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, how about a break? Sounds good to me. All right, Jessica, it's all you. We'll be right back. back in that jazz move, aren't we? I don't know. What happened to the rap music, Benny? So, oh my gosh. There you go. Thank you, Benny. I like it. You're welcome. I'm going to play that in my car. Boy, I got to have me some baked something now. <laughs> I'm telling you. Get in the groove with Dr. Pat and her guests on Transformation Talk Radio. It's always something new around here. Visit thedrpatshow.com.
good music. Yeah, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Psychic and the Doc. We have a very special guest today. Look, before we jump ahead, uh, Kim, what is the best way for people to find out about you, get copies of your books, all of the above? Kind of follow you. Yeah, I'm very active on social media with a lot of kind of crazy alter egos there. But um, so you can go to my website, which is kimpowersbooks.com and see information. I've got four books, about four books, a play I've written, various other things. And, uh, you know, every bookstore, uh, love to shop indies, love to shop local, has copies of the books. Uh, The early ones you might have to order uh, because they're not currently in stock, but um, and just look me up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm I'm on all of them. Yeah, and, and, you know, Kim, I'd like to to add to something you just said. I get so many people that say I went to Barnes and Noble and they didn't have your book. Well, there's this thing called the customer service desk, and you go there and you say I want this book, and they'll order it for you. So if you want to read Kim's books, and let me tell you, I've read, I've read a number of your books. They're awesome. Um, Dig Two Graves, that one just, just kept me up at night. And then uh, The Rules for Being Dead is just outstanding. And, and Dr. Pat, I know you want to get to, to the changes, but Capote in Kansas, I have to ask, what was your motivation for writing this book? Do you know what? And this, this, you know, he pops, it pops up a little bit in Rules for Being Dead. There's a little nine-year-old boy who is obsessed with Truman Capote and, and more so the clutter killings in Kansas. I found my way into Truman Capote through In Cold Blood. And that's, you know, like a creepy thing a nine-year-old kid should not be thinking about or dealing with. And I was sort of obsessed in a bad way with serial killers. So I started just, you know, reading everything I could about Truman Capote, and I discovered that he and Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, were next door neighbors when they were kids. Uh, And I thought I was the only one who knew that. I mean, it was hardly a secret, but I had this lifelong obsession with them. Um, And I will add that is that is the first the, the it's Capote in Kansas colon a ghost story. Because that is actually the first place I've written about ghosts. And it's the, the dead clutter family coming back yeah. to haunt Truman Capote and Harper Lee. And the way they're written, you don't know if they're dreams that they're having or they're real ghosts. And I'm not sure I know the difference, which is an interesting thing. You know, I think we get visitations from spirit through dreams myself. Yes. Um, but I first began sort of exploring that world of these these um, these characters who were visiting from another place, let me say that in Capote in Kansas, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I love the way. I mean, I guess your books speak to me because they have spirits as characters in them, and and um, you know I, I'm a, a writer. Doctor Pat's a writer. You know, and we all have our process. And it's funny when you said I'm not even sure I know because sometimes the story, the message just comes out and then it's, I'm looking at it going, where did that come from? Yeah, exactly. And it's usually really good (laughs) when that happens. It's usually the best. When you don't know where it came from is the best writing you can do. Yeah. Yes. Dr. Pat, you were going to talk about 
like wh where we are now and where we're going um, and is, as far as like uh, treatment of LGB? Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, well, first of all, the reason I want to talk about it is, and I just mm -hmm. got a text message, not Billy Idol, but we could do a show on Billy Idol. We could do that for sure. There's no question. Billy Eilish and some people. So Billy writes a song. I want to talk about two things. Billy writes a song, Wish You Were Gay. I have never seen, I have to think of another, yes, one other song I could think of in modern, contemporary, if we can consider Katy Perry still contemporary. What was the other song that caused as much backlash oh, as this? Uh, I just I kissed, kissed a, girl. a girl. I kissed a girl. Oh, yeah. And I liked it. But <laughs> here's what I love about this, and this is why my question to you. Back in the day, if somebody would have done this, um, if the movie Carol would have been revealed by the original author, what a movie. Yeah. Please, somebody, please reach out to those two and have them do part two. <laughs> please, you, you, you've got to get them back together. But if, if we go back in time, and we know there were artists, we know there were people in the industry that talked about things that came out about things and then there was some that were hidden but here's my question to you my sense is we've moved to a new level why do i say that i kissed a girl wish you were gay two songs written by people not gay at the moment not gay i don't know i kissed a girl incredible success right? Except in a lot of other communities. And I love Billie Eilish. I love the response. I have never seen a single song be released with so much dialogue that has completely elevated the LGBTQIA community to talk about being out or not being out until, you know, Billie says, you know, it's not about the F and this, this. So my question to you is we're in a new era. Are we excited about it? I think we're very excited about it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I feel like this old fart at my <laughs> office, for example, you know, because there are all these kids, um, you know, who come in as interns or, you know, our staff, you know, I, I'll, I'm, you know, I'll go out in the hallway and yell, I need a millennial to help me do something on the computer. But there's just no question about it. There's no doubt. There's no uncertainty. Um, and I see it in so much, you know, and and I think it's because the modeling we get in songs like those you just mentioned, in characters we get, you know, high school dramas on TV, you know, they're gay, bi, trans, whatever characters, and it's just sort of taken for granted now. I don't think it's um, it, it's kind of cool, you know, to be gay. I even sound like a you know old fogey sounding saying that, but um, I always thought it's interesting, even my own evolution because i spent so many years and so much energy in the aids activism world while my two brothers were ill and then after they died and i it, i couldn't have given any more i thought the the fight was over for me that was my own personal waterloo i didn't have any more else to give and i had younger friends like the generation younger than me who were already moving i mean and this is like you know in the 90s onto the you know uh, marriage equality bandwagon right 
And I said, no, it's not my battle. You know, it won't ever happen in my lifetime. You go on and do your do the good fight. I just, you know, I, I, I'm closed for business. But then when we got it, when we started getting it bit by bit, and I was able to marry my own partner, uh, I thought, you know, it is a new world. You know, I can remember our, our tax guy. We would go to our tax guy and he'd say, oh, but you're never going to see marriage equality. You'll never be able to fire, file as a couple, blah, blah, blah. And I was terrified of that, of being an older person, you know, um, having to pay an inheritance tax, say, on our house or something like that. So I just see see these changes, and I hate to see the, the backwards changes that some, um, you know, in Florida, bill against trans athletes oh or something. Oh, my God, yeah. I yeah. just remember so well, this is, at this point, four or five years ago, Diane Sawyer did, you know, this um, epic interview with Caitlyn Jenner, and in which, in which, Bruce Jenner came out as Caitlyn Jenner. And I remember so often Diane saying trans rights are the new civil rights. And I thought that was so prophetic and prescient. And it really is the truth. You know, I don't necessarily like what Caitlyn Jenner has become and the path she's gone in, but it is it's it it's the um it is the new civil rights, you know, and I hate you know, fearing that some LGBTQ rights will be taken away, you know, um, who knows what's going to happen in the courts in the next year or so. Yes, but exactly. I find, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm like, you know, for my younger gay friends who, who don't know Judy and don't know those classic old movies, you know, I'm, I, I give them like a little starter kit, like Gay 101. Okay, you've got to watch the women. You've got to watch stage tour. You've got to watch all about Eve. And I'll like give them the little stepping stones to be, you know, a, an elder gay like I am, so that they'll know the references. Okay, this is what Jungle Red means. You know all that stuff. So, you know, I want to point this out. Well, the reason I think we do this show, and I said to Mark, look, on my show, I have had to speak out this month. I mean, every year we do something, but there's something even more important about it. You know, what's happening in the the joy of the conversations about some of the folks we've talked about and some of the things that have been done in the spirit of that, please, please look and make sure you check this. Voting rights are not being changed just for people of color. I just want hello, you know, please look at this. And today I had to make an announcement on my earlier show and I, and I posted and I said, do, do you ladies out there know? that a bill to give you equal wages was just shot down today, a filibuster. Does, does any, do we know that? Equal wages for women? And so I'm at this place where I'm really, you know, here I sit with the network, we're gonna grow and expand in 18 months to 10 channels. And when I went back to my team and I said, I gotta have a political channel, I gotta have a different political channel, I gotta have a channel that is gonna provide information it provides us with asking ourselves, I think, where we've been. And that was my question to you. It's let's take a shot at looking ahead and the possibilities of what we can achieve. We've achieved a lot. Yeah. People say, and you haven't done anything yet. Yeah, okay, come on. Like marriage, seriously? Well, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, a, a, credible, a credible candidate 
You know, I mean, it, it's it's like I saw him being interviewed, I think, yesterday because, um, you know, with the infrastructure bill and all this. And it's like um, it, it's just amazing to see how far that we've come. And, you know, Dr. Pat, we're talking about women having equal wages. You know, I grew up in an era where I had um, women professors. I worked in in law firms side by side with women. I've had women bosses. And for me, I have never had a problem. I mean, first off, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I, I don't understand the ridiculousness of a woman not getting paid the same thing as a man. Uh, I mean, I, I've never seen that. And, and just think that women are still struggling and, and Kim gays are still struggling. Yes, there's been leaps forward, but there are forces at work to try to turn back turn back time, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, and what the people who want to turn things back fail to understand is that there is no going back. We were talking about this um, recently, Dr. Pat, of, about COVID. You know, people say, well, we want to get back to where we, we were. Well, the post-pandemic world isn't going to just be 2019 again. It's going to be a new normal. And, and so I think it's fascinating um, the the changes in our society, because there are countries in the world, and, and Kim, you're with ABC News, so so you understand. I mean, there's countries where gays are openly uh, um, persecuted. It What, Kim, Kim, you're a role model. What do you have to say to that scared lesbian teenager, that, that scared boy who's getting picked on, um, to that that uh, transgendered teen that that doesn't know who to turn to, what are your words? What's your advice? What's your message? Say, don't kill yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's yeah. that's that easier said than done because we've all been there, I know. But it is a harder choice not to kill yourself than to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you can just hang on. You know, and, and for a lot of people, it's just hang on till you get out of high school. Then you can start finding your own tribe, your own people, and glory in them. You know, create your own family if you need to at that point. But just try to hang on to find your own tribe. Um, these, I know these things sound trite, um, but I, I guess I think that's back, back to what I did. There were enough you know, other freaks that I could hang out with in high school that I felt not quite so alone um, and, you know, gave me a little bit of a sense of stability and uh, protection even. Um, so just, if you can just find one other person to talk to um, that you feel safe to do that, don't, don't ever bottle it up you know, let yeah. it out in yeah. a safe space. Yeah. Let me piggyback on that for a minute because I want to talk about the silent death and the slower death. And the silent and slower death is the level of alcohol consumption. I work with the LGBTQ community and women in general uh, in recovery, and I've never seen such challenges. So there, there is the point that you get to. And I, I think when you talk to many of us, when you talk to what the journey was like, you've had those moments of it. But there's a slower death and it is at epidemic levels. And, you know, if we don't start to acknowledge it and show up for it, you know, this is the point by which, you know, the self-annihilation and letting that level of fear uh, completely consume us 
is a slower death that ultimately leads to the death. And, you know, we're not talking about that so much. Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, uh, when I was practicing law um, in Florida, I remember I had this juvenile client. He must have been, I think, 16 or 17. And um, he, he would always come to talk to my secretary. And she said, Mark, we got a situation here. And I said, what? She said, he just admitted to me that he was gay. And, and I, you know, we could kind of tell, you know, um, and she said, but he wants us to set up a meeting with his parents to come out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So we did, you know, and, and these people were real country. And, I, and look, like you said, uh, Kim, I don't want to, you know, trash on Florida country people, but they came in like his mom's missing half her teeth and dad's like, well, they're sitting down. And, and, uh, and I said, now, you know, we're going to have a discussion here and I, you know, and, and, uh, I'll just say, you know, his name was Jim, you know, I'm just making up, um, Jim, Jim is gay. And his mother goes, well, hell, we knew that. And his father goes, yeah, I kind of figured, but we love you anyway. And this kid, I just saw like the sweat pouring off of him. He was so relieved. And But the family was very thankful that we set up this environment because he was scared to death to talk to them. And they didn't know how yeah. to bring it up. It's you know? so fantastic. I never would have thought of something like that. And they, they don't teach you that in law school, I'm sure. No. But what a great thing for this kid to have you as to kind of just soak up his psychic energy, you know, take some of the fear off him and put it on yourself because you're a grown up and you can handle it. But how fantastic is that? You know? Yeah. You know, because, I, I, you know, I, I've seen, you know, we, we, we certainly have seen in the news how, how, uh, uh, so many people of African-American, um, um, you know, and, and uh, people of color are not being treated properly by law enforcement. Um, the LGBT community, Dr. Pat, you have firsthand experience being at Stonewall, um, which which um, um, I, I called in another interview. We did the, the gay Fourth of July. <laughs> OK, um, but but I saw in, in my work, both as a prosecutor and a criminal defense attorney, how gays have been brutalized uh, by law enforcement. And, but I'm also encouraged seeing that changing as well, uh, that, that people are being treated with more respect. And, yeah. you know, you got to hand it to, to uh, you, Dr. Pat, your generation and Kim, your generations were the trailblazers that, that stood up and said, we're not taking this anymore. And, and I think... For, for all of our listeners that ha um, have gay members in the family or gay children or our listeners who are gay or, or gay or LGBT, um, I really want to thank you for tuning into the psychic and the doc, because as we've said, no topic is off the, the table. No, no subject is taboo here. And this is a very important discussion. You know, people think, all right, there's gay marriage. It's all over. It's like, <laughs> no, it isn't. And, and Kim, um, you work, you know, you're, you're a, a, a tremendous success, and, and you're at ABC. Um, how, how do you balance your career as a writer and with, with your work at ABC? You know what? I've always been very driven. And, you know, it's not... And my, my parents were, were sort of basic hard workers, but they were not slavish about it or anything. And maybe in high school, uh, I always knew that was the road to college. You know, I mean, I was innately smart, but I also knew that working hard 
you know, would get me the good grades to get scholarships or whatever. And I grew up in a poor family that my family didn't have money for that. Um, but I've always been, I've, I always need projects to be doing. And, you know, I learned with my first book that you just, you know, this a mentor of mine once said, you know, if you want to be a writer, just write. You can't keep talking about writing. You just have to, and there's there's usually like one time when you make that, the first time when you make that commitment to just write. Um, and I've had, I feel like I've had that a few times in my life, but I've always sort of been able to juggle these projects, um, you know, you know, get the stuff at work done. And usually by then I'm too tired to work at night, but really get up in the morning and now really work on the weekends, work hard. And it sort of moved into stuff I enjoy rather than something I feel I have to do to, to, um, for my ego. You know, I've, I've, I've checked off enough boxes for my ego. I'm fine with that. Now it's just for me and my sense of, of, um, you know, putting work out there and, and what I want to say, you know, having a platform, I guess, is why I do it. But I've been, I, I will say, though, the back, the back half of that question is the discipline I got at ABC. And I started as a writer for Good, for Good Morning America, long days. And we had to pump out what was called like a briefing paper for the anchors on some subject every day. So I was writing six, seven pages a day. That discipline, just like going to the gym and developing that writing muscle of getting a draft down, we said the words, you know, bad words are better than no words. So get some words down on the page, then you can fix them later. That gave me the discipline and sort of the muscle memory, literally, to do the physical act of writing. That's what it is, doing it every day, yeah. whether inspiration struck or not. Yeah, but that's how I do it, one day at a time. Yeah. I think if we had more time, we could really take a deeper dive into what we're not talking about on the greatest challenges in the LGBTQIA community. And those are the things we don't talk about. Now, clearly, if anybody watches Law & Order SBU, thank you, Mariska Harkatay. I want to just thank you for you standing up and producing those shows that nobody really wanted you to produce. Those shows that show abuse, sexual abuse, and otherwise of people in our community that never make it past the side of the street. And I do really want to take my hat off to her and the producers of, of, of that show, because you learn more about what's going on from that show and the community than most, but also from you, Kim, and doing shows like this for us. You become a champion of what's to come. My complete honor. You're so kind to invite me. I in no way see myself as a role model. You're very kind to say that. I just I'm just older than everybody. That's what a role model is. <laughs> if you make it to a certain age and you haven't completely screwed up, you can be a role model. And th that's all I'll take from that. So thank you both so much. You, you know, Kim, you have to come back because I didn't even get to my questions about your play. So, so yeah, and I'm sure that, uh, is there another, I, I know that you're promoting Rules for Being Dead. Is there another book in the works? There is another book in the works, and I'll, I'll just tell you the title, and that's all I'll tell you. Hot Mike, Hot Mike, which is a mic that's still live, 
but there is both a live mic and a character named Hot Mike in it. <laughs> so it might take place in the newsroom, maybe. <laughs> oh, Kim, thank you. Thank and, you so uh, much. Are you going to get Shannon painting for that role? I would love to. I would love to. Thank you so much. What a what a great conversation, Mark. Take us away. I'm Mark Anthony, and I'm with my amazing co-host, Dr. Pat Vasily. You're listening to The Psychic and the Doc. We've had author and ABC writer Kim Powers as our guest, and we will see you next week as we continue celebrating superstars in the LGBT community for Pride Month and for everyone Please tune in, and we will be doing call-in shows this month. Many blessings, and namaste, everyone. Have a Evan, great day. Evan Rachel, Evan Rachel Wood, please. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Kim, you rock. We'll see you next time. Dr. Pat Basile, right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, look, come back next week so we can explore with you more of life's many challenges and learn from fascinating guests. And you know what? Even Mark and me. We'll connect you and discover insights from people in this life and from the afterlife. Extraordinary problems? Yeah, they do. They require extraordinary solutions. But step into the world of possibilities with us on The Psychic and the Doc. That's every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. That's TransformationTalkRadio.com. And don't forget, we're also live face-to-face on Facebook.com, Transformation Talk Radio.